0: Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It's some excerpts from the Sermon on the Mount, the narrow and wide gates, true and false prophets, true and false disciples, and the wise and foolish builders. Hear now the word of God. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Okay, I know y'all are good at math, right? The only math you have to be good at today is counting Good, two. Can y'all do that? Let's do it. One, two. Okay, we see four examples here in these stories Jesus tells about there being two kinds of a thing. First place, there's two kinds of gates, two kinds of ways. There's a wide way, a way that's easy, and there's a narrow way, a narrow way that's difficult. Then there's true prophets and false prophets. There's true disciples and false disciples. There's those who are wise in responding to Jesus' words, and there's those who are foolish when they hear Jesus' words. In each case, there's two kinds of response. Now, this idea of there being two ways is not original with Jesus. Y'all remember our responsive reading earlier from Psalm 1? Did you notice there's two ways there? It's all the way back there in the Old Testament, and it doesn't stop with Jesus either. If you go and read some of the early Christian literature that comes after the New Testament, you can read the Epistle of Barnabas, you can read the Didache, and in those books you'll find sections called the two ways. It's a common way of thinking there. When you hear Jesus explain the two options in each case, is there one that sounds more attractive? Let's look at the first one. We have two ways. The way that's broad. The way that's easy. Doesn't that sound good doesn't that sound attractive? It takes almost no effort. When you're living life, aren't you prone to choose those things that take less effort than the things that take lots of effort? I mean, it's like skiing. Any, anybody in here ever goes snow skiing? You go snow skiing? I've never been, so all I've done is seen it, so y'all have, might have to correct me. You're at the top of a hill, right? And you point your skis straight ahead. What are you gonna do? You're gonna go down, am I right on that? As a non-skier, okay, you go down. It's not hard, you'll go down. It's easy, it's natural, it's the wide way, the easy way. It's also easy to go with the crowd. Now we tell this to young people all the time when we don't want them to do drugs. The crowd's doing drugs, their peers are doing drugs. Don't give in to the crowd because it's so easy to give in to the crowd. Or when we don't want them to do crime. Don't hang out with crowds that are doing things that are against the law, because it's so easy to go with the crowd. Or gossip. Y'all ever know anybody that gossiped? It's so easy when everybody around you is gossiping to just join in, because when somebody knows something, you gotta add what you know too, right? It's so easy. It's the wide way. Or the way of anger and outrage. If the crowd we're around is absorbed with anger, absorbed with outrage, whether it's the people we hang out with or the people we hang out with on social media, everybody's angry, everybody's upset. It's so easy to go with the flow. But Jesus says that wide way that easy way goes to destruction. Doesn't sound good. So there's two ways. There's there's also two kinds of prophet. There's the true prophet and the false prophet. Which which do you prefer? Oh, the false prophet is so much better, isn't it? Cuz the false prophet's always going to tell us what we want to hear. The false prophet's going to come along and and hug us and, and affirm us and never ever tell us we're doing anything wrong. The false prophet's never going to step on our toes. The false prophet's never going to offer correction. It's so much better to be around false prophets, right? Well, not according to Jesus. Jesus says, "Look at the fruit." Look what the results are in their lives. Look at the consequences in the lives of the people that listen to him. And there's two kinds of disciples. Jesus says, people are going to come to me, and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, we're going to use those great titles for Jesus, recognizing him not just as great religious teacher, but as Lord. Can you get any better than calling Jesus Lord? And they even do impressive things. Not just impressive things like being acolytes. Not just impressive things like being ushers. Not just impressive things like preaching or singing or teaching Sunday school, but impressive things like miracles. But Jesus says you can do all that stuff. You can do all the right stuff and use all the right words. And still be a false disciple. But then we get to the fourth set of two ways. And this is where Jesus answers the third dilemma the difference between a true disciple and a false disciple. All those who hear my words. So we're just talking about the people that have heard what Jesus has to say. Two kinds of responses the first response is you listen to what he says and you put it into practice. Second kind of response is, well, that's nice, Jesus. And you go your way. And the question at the end is, what kind of life lasts through the storm? What kind of life lasts when the wind is howling? What, what kind of life is working when the waters are rising? So we hear these contrasts, these two ways in each case. Which would you rather be? Uh, we, We want to go the Jesus way, right? We want to have clear distinction between being in the way of Jesus and being out of the way of Jesus. Sometimes we feel like there's two boxes we can put ourselves in. We can put ourselves in the box that's close to Jesus, that's associated with Jesus, and then not in the box that's far from Jesus. Sometimes we put ourselves in one of those boxes, and then sometimes we sort other people into those boxes too. But there's some complications that come to that way of thinking. First problem is that we're all sinners. Every single one of us. The, these, these guys, the, the ones that are going the wide way and the easy way, all sinners. The true prophet and the false prophet, all sinners. The true disciple and the false disciple, all sinners. The one who builds on the rock and the one who builds on the sand, all sinners. Every single one of us needs grace. Every single one of us needs the work of God in our life. What we do isn't going to cut it. We need God. But there's a second complication here. Because we're sinners... Our judgment might not be accurate. We have these two boxes, the good box and the bad box, whether we're putting ourselves in a box or somebody else. Because we're sinners, our judgment can be wrong. It's too easy to cast other people, well, you're different from me. You must be in the other box. Well, maybe, maybe not. Let's consider a different way to... Imagine the two boxes. Let's, let's try a, a centered set model. I've talked about this before but but not recently. Uh, can I get some volunteers? Maybe maybe two volunteers? You don't have to say anything. All you have to do is stand there or move around. Hey, there's a volunteer right there. Come on up. I, got one volunteer. Okay, I see a volunteer back there. Come on up. Who's that? Is that Ella back there or that Kenna? Okay. Okay, we have these great models right here. Now, y'all know enough about these girls, right, to know they don't have beards, right? (laughs) And let's say they don't shave for a whole week. Are they going to have a beard? If they don't shave for a whole month, are they going to have a beard? No. No. If I don't shave for a whole month, will I have a beard? Eh, Quite likely, yes. So I'm going to be Jesus, okay, because Jesus has to have a beard, right? So I'm going to pretend I'm Jesus. And these two ladies are people that are in some kind of relationship with Jesus. So why don't you stand right over here, come over here, you stand right here, and why don't you stand right over here? Okay, who's, who's with Jesus? Is she with Jesus? No, she's not in the right place, is she? That's, that's what we'd call maybe a bounded set. But, okay, let's say Jesus is right here. And she's, you, you still look that way. Now you look at me. Okay, Who is oriented toward Jesus? But she's far away. How can she be oriented to Jesus if she's far away? It's because the direction, the trajectory of her life is directed toward Jesus. So in a centered set model, it's your orientation toward Jesus, the direction of your life that makes the difference between good, bad, right, wrong, in, out. So, somebody might be culturally close to Jesus. They might be in church every Sunday, might even be a pastor. But if their life is not oriented toward Jesus, then they're on the wrong side of that too. But, but let's bring in something else here. Y- y'all remember what we celebrated two weeks ago? Easter. 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 Anybody remember what Easter's about? Jesus, right? The resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus. So Jesus on Good Friday, what what happened to Jesus on Good Friday? He died, died, really, truly died, dead as a doornail, put in a tomb. God raised him up. He's alive. So Jesus isn't just standing here. Jesus isn't saying, okay, I'm sorry, you're out because you're not oriented toward me. And Jesus isn't just smiling over here and saying, hey, you're going the right direction. But we complicate the model by, by seeing that Jesus He's saying, Kenna, why, why do not she turn toward me? And she doesn't. See how easy that was? Jesus comes and speaks to her, and she turns. Because Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is active. But let's, let's complicate it even more. Let's suppose, Now we're not going to do it because we have limited time. Let's suppose there's more people up here. Because my, my guess is most of y'all, the churches you've been in, there's more than two people, right? Lots of people. So it might be that one of these ladies who have turned toward Jesus, who have oriented their lives in the direction of Jesus, they might be around somebody else. And they might say, hey, why don't you come with me? Hey, why why don't you travel with me? And it might be by the words that they say, it might be by the way that they live, that they help other people orient their lives toward Jesus. And it might be that they go quite a bit out of their way to do that. It might be that they cross some cultural or social boundaries to get somebody that's not like them. But because Jesus is with them and loves them, Jesus is drawing people in through what he's doing in their life. Okay, ladies, y'all can be seated. Y'all have been a great help. Let's take that model another step. What happens after we turn our lives toward Jesus? The turning turning can be described as the turning away from something is repentance. The turning to Jesus is faith. And once we turn our lives toward Jesus and our lives are oriented to him, that's more than fire insurance. It's more than, hey, Jesus, I'm oriented toward you, so I got my fire insurance policy, good for eternity, now I'll go do my own thing but it means my life is oriented toward you. My life is oriented in line with your kingdom purposes. As we do this, as we look at this model, as we look at this scripture, I can imagine three changes that we go through. The first change is is the obvious one, the one that the girls illustrated for me, which is turning toward Jesus. That's where we put our faith in Him, where we turn from the other things in the world, whatever they might be. We don't put our faith in them anymore. We don't put our trust in them. Our lives aren't built around them anymore. We turn to Jesus. That's the first change. The second change is beginning to take responsibility for ourselves. Uh, some of y'all have been around babies, right? Y'all, y'all know when, when babies are, are firstborn, how do they get their food? Does baby, baby say a month old, say, hey, Dad, I need a burger from McDonald's. Go get me a burger from McDonald's. And then Dad gets a burger from McDonald's and sticks it in the baby's hand, and the baby goes, because hm. the baby knows how to eat, right? No, you've got to feed the baby. If you don't feed the baby, what's the baby going to do? Cry and die. Babies aren't gonna live if you don't feed them. And then babies reach a point, what what is it, maybe one, maybe nine months, where they start feeding themselves. Isn't that cool? And they got that food right there. And have y'all noticed that you give the babies food and not all of it ends up in their mouth? Where else does it end up? The floor, their face, their hair, all over. And it's messy, we got to clean it up, but yet it's still cute for a while, isn't it? But then they get to be 5 or 10 or 20, and they're still smearing their food all over their face, or they're still saying, feed me, mama, feed me, take a bottle in my mouth. Is it still cute then? Why not? I mean, by that stage, it's tragic, isn't it? Because they haven't learned to feed themselves. might still be that mom and dad buy the food. It might still be that mom and dad prepare the food. But they know how to feed themselves. Can it be that way for us in relation to Christ? We've made the change of orienting our lives toward him. But have we taken responsibility for feeding ourselves? Or do we just still sit there, feed me, teacher. Feed me, preacher. Feed me, mom. Feed me, dad. There's a second change. But there's a third change that we can do also. When we recognize it's not just about us. We've oriented our lives toward Christ. We've taken responsibility for growing in Christ. The third change is when we take responsibility for people around us. Where we learn to see people as God sees them. And our hearts are broken. And we come alongside them. We draw them toward Jesus. Which of those changes is most appropriate for you today? Some of you might be here today, and you might need to do that first change. You might need to say, I've been in church all my life. I've been saying, Lord, 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 every Sunday. But I need to trust him. I need to start listening to Jesus and put his words into effect. That might be you. Some of you today, you, you might be needing to take up the change of being responsible for yourself and your spiritual growth. You might need to learn to feed on the word yourself. You might need to learn to pray for yourself. You might need to learn to to develop your life with God on your own, with the meals that are presented to you. But then, some of you today, the change that God's speaking to you about is taking responsibility for other people, for loving them the way God does, and drawing them into the life of Christ that you've experienced. Where are you today? Which step do you need to take? I encourage you to pray about it. And in just a few minutes, we're going to share in communion. You heard a great expression of what we do in communion in the song Christy sang at the offertory as we feast around the table of the king. But this is a time where, where we come as the body of Christ. We hear from God and we respond to God. So let this be a time where you open yourself to God and say, God, what do you have for me today? What's my next step with you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the great mercy that you gave us in Jesus and that you continue to show us in his relationship with us. Show us today what we need to do next, what our next step is in response to you and what you've done for us. Amen.